I don't know about you, but I, inside I just feel like my soul went. <sighs> Stop holding your breath. Catch your breath. Enjoy the presence of God. Enjoy being in his company. Knowing him. Loving him. Knowing you are known by him. And loved by him. What a great privilege we have. We are going to, in the next couple of moments, uh, bring a family here, the Rogers family. They're coming right now, and they're bringing their little baby boy, Jackson, to be dedicated with, to Jesus. 
uh, Garrett and Jeannie are, are bringing their other kids as well. Anna Lynn is coming as well as Zachariah. And uh, we're, we're glad to have them here this morning uh, to do this dedication. Not everybody chooses to do a baby dedication. Uh, part of the reason that people choose to do it is because they want the opportunity to publicly make a commitment before you to say, it is our heart's desire and intention. <laughs> He's already getting what church is all about. This is fantastic. <laughs> oh, this is wonderful. But it's an opportunity for a family coming to publicly say, uh, we want to do everything we can to raise our child in an environment that they have the opportunity to come to know and trust and love Jesus. And we call it a family dedication because in reality, we're not just dedicating a child to God, but really this family is coming together to say, as a mom and dad and brother and sister, we're going to be involved in helping see this little guy uh, come to know and love Jesus. So there's a passage we love to read. I think, my goodness, just about every dedication, uh, this passage is used, the words of Moses. He says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Hear this, Southfield. The Lord our God, the Lord is one. You must love the Lord your God with all your heart, your soul, and your strength. Everything within you. Love him. And you must commit yourself wholeheartedly to these commandments I'm giving you today. Now what I love is he talks about the personal relationship that we have with Christ, with God. And then he immediately moves into what we're supposed to do with that in the family context. He says, I want you to repeat these commands again and again to your children. Talk about them when you're at home and when you're away on a journey, when you're lying down and when you're getting up again. Tie them to your hands as a reminder and wear them on your foreheads. Write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. I think it is the temptation, the inclination of a lot of Christian families to believe if we, if we bring our kid to church for an hour and let them work their magic, 18 years later, a wonderful Christian will emerge. Isn't that, isn't that wonderful the way that works? And if, and, if, and if we take advantage of the extra things like youth group and whatever, oh my word, it's just amazing. We obviously would never want to minimize the importance of being part of this community. But in reality, God said the responsibility for the heart of this child rests in your hand. Rest in your hands. And you get the privilege day after day after day of living in such a way that Jackson gets the opportunity through watching the way you live and love to know who Jesus is. Uh, it's just, it's a, it's a beautiful opportunity. And one of the things, I mean, you're already veterans at parenting. In fact, uh, I, was, I was saying to Garrett, you, you've, moved, you've moved from man on man to zone. I remember when this happened, <laughs> the move to three and... Three is a lot of fun. It really is. Um, but you've already learned through your other kids how much of what they catch that you did not want them to catch. The things they'll do that you go, oh my word, I do that. Ugh. Or the things they'll do that you go, wow, that's really cool. Hey, I do that. And so we're, you know, we're constantly rubbing off on our kids and and it's just, it's an incredible and, and, and amazing thing. And, and you, as, as a brother and sister, you get the chance to influence your little brother uh, to be like Jesus. So I want you to see something real quick. 
See that kid sitting over there with the black sweater? That's, that's, yeah, raise your hand. That's my oldest son. He's 28, right? And his name's Brian. And next to him is his little sister, 26-year-old Shelly. And, and Brian was always so perfect and loving toward his sister that she has, had, has no foibles and has needed no counseling. And then over here at the end, this is, this is, this is their, their littlest brother. This is Nathan. So Nathan's just like Jackson to you guys. This is the littlest brother. And they helped us to raise our little boy to love Jesus. And you get the chance with your mom and your dad to help this friend of yours, this brother of yours, come to know and love Jesus. Isn't that a cool thing? So that means you got to be nice. you got to be nice. And when you're not nice, you know what you do? You say, I'm sorry. And by the way, you may want to teach your mom and dad to do that too. Because sometimes we're not nice. And one of the best things we can do is say, I'm sorry to our kids. It really is. A, it's a beautiful thing when we're able to say to our kids, I messed up. I shouldn't have done that. I'm sorry. Because our Father in Heaven is perfect and we are not. And we get the opportunity to reflect his perfection in the times that we don't. We get the opportunity to say, that's not the way it's supposed to be done. I'll try better next time. All right, Mr. Snoozy Pants. Are you going to come to me? Let's see if this works. You're a good man. I won't make any grandchild references, I promise. No pressure. Lord God, we come publicly today to commit this life to you. Committed to you already. Born on Christmas Eve. The night before you came into this world. Thank you for the privilege of human relationships. For the privilege of being moms and dads and brothers and sisters. To be able to influence our siblings to know and love Jesus and to grow in love with him. Jackson, we pray that the Lord would bless you and keep you. That he'd make his face to shine on you and that he'd give you peace. And that that peace would come when you commit your heart to Jesus, when you trust in him as the forgiver of your sin and the leader of your life. We pray for your mom and daddy. God, I pray that they would be willing to talk about Jesus all the time in front of you. And that you'd catch that there's something special about this family. This is a family that loves God, and I want to love God too. Pray for your brother and your sister. That you will help them to be kind, and you will help them to be quick to ask for forgiveness when they're not. Pray that you all get the chance to grow old together. To know each other and love each other. And to be good friends. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. Wow. Great job. Great job. Congratulations. Congratulations. And congratulations. And congratulations. Wonderful. <laughs>
With that, we are going to move into our uh, time of communion this morning. And this season, we've been looking at different questions, like some, some tough questions, uh, as we reflect during communion. And we, we'll ask a question one week and then follow it up the next week. So this week, we actually have a new one. And yeah, it's, it's a touchy one. This week's question is, do I pray about my money or how I spend my money? The last, I want you to think about the last thing that you bought. Uh, for me, it was a delicious, greasy uh, bacon, egg, and cheese bagel at McDonald's this morning. No, I did not pray about that. Uh, but I think when we think about money, especially when we're talking about it in church, like some of us start to cringe because it, that either means that the church is like saying, all money is bad unless you're giving it all to us, right? No, uh, that's, that's not the direction we're going to go this morning. This morning, I want you to, to take time to think about uh, not only the way that we, we get our money and we save our money, but what we're, how we're choosing uh, to show God's love in this world through our money. Uh, because again, money has great power. Anybody who has money, we automatically assign them power. We say, yeah, we want to be like them. They have influence. They can do stuff because they have money. No matter whether you have a lot of money or you have no money, uh, the way that we choose to look at money controls our lives. And I want to tell a story this morning of a student who I met with this week. I'm not going to reference the name, um, but I was meeting with a student this week who's looking at college choices. And college choices, um, they're, they're, they're expensive, and it's scary. It's really scary. Because you're looking at spending tens and tens of thousands of dollars every year to get this piece of paper that says, yes, now you can go into the work, into the work world. And this student's actually looking at going to med school. So that's hundreds of thousands of dollars before they get this piece of paper so that they can go into the working world. And before I was able to get there, uh, the student saw a homeless person outside of McDonald's. And uh, they're holding a sign saying, need work. And again, while, while the student's waiting for me, uh, they went outside and struck up a conversation with this person. Again, this is in Minooka. All right, so this isn't like downtown Chicago. We're, not, we're talking our own community. And we're talking about someone who's getting ready to spend hundreds of thousands of dollars on education. She went outside, struck up a conversation with, with this homeless person. She took $10 out of her pocket after, hearing, after talking, with, uh, talking with him, praying with him. She took $10 out of her pocket and handed it to him. Of all the times in life where we might excuse someone, to not do that, it's when they're getting ready to go to college, right? Oh, you need to save all the money that you can. Get, that you, can. you need to control everything. We need to pinch pennies now. It's, it's time to start saving. It's time to make sure that you know, we're not wasting any of our money. Instead, the student chose to show God's love in the world. She took her money and said, I don't have much, and I'm about to have a lot less. But this money is not mine. It's God's. And I can show God's love to someone through what I'm doing here. Now, that's not to say that all of you need to go like, out into the world today and find a homeless person and give them $10. I'm not saying that. But take the value in that lesson. Here we have a high school senior saying, I know the power that this has. And right now, 
this money is going to mean a lot more for someone else than it does for me. Uh, in Luke 12, 15, Jesus, Jesus talks about money a lot. And again, this student kind of embodies the, uh, the story here. So Jesus uh, is talking and he says, watch out, guard yourself against all kinds of greed. After all, one's life isn't determined by one's possessions, even when someone is very wealthy. The student knew that. She took her possessions and she said, this is God's. And I'm giving it back. Now, again, during this time, don't want you to feel guilty. Don't want you to sit here and, oh, what could I have done with that, that money that I spent uh, last week or whatever? Uh, I want you to take time. Look forward. Where are the areas in your life that you haven't been thinking about the way you spend your money? What are the ways that you can start asking God to move you, to change you, to change your perspective? To, again, use that, that money, even if you only have a little. How can you use it to show God's glory in the world? We're going to have uh, a few minute, or a minute here uh, to just reflect on that question. Once that's done, uh, we have four stations around the room, two in the front and two in the back. And you can go receive communion there and, uh, and return to your seat. This is going to kind of be a show of hands thing. How many of you have ever been in a spin class? Raise your hand. All right, not, not a whole lot. How many of you know what in the world I'm talking about when I say the word spinning? There, it's like you've exercised. Okay, that's very good. Um, spinning is an interesting kind of activity. I, I like it personally. It's basically a, a stationary bike. So you don't have to go outside. You don't have to hit the wind and the rain and all that kind of stuff. You can be in the comfort of an indoors with air conditioning and a fan and all those nice things. And you get on this bike and you just start, you start moving your legs. You start moving your legs. And, and the, part of the reason I like it is of all the activities I've taken on, it, it's probably one of them that when I walk away from it, I feel like I have exercised. You know, there are sometimes I walk away and go, what? Well, I might as well have eaten a Twinkie. But when I, but when I spin, it's like I, I feel it. You know, I walk away and my, my shirt is drenched. Sorry to say that in church. And, um, and you know, I, I'm, I'm kind of breathless. I'm kind of I'm catching my breath. And then when I get off the bike, my legs kind of go a little noodly. And I'm like, okay, I'm, I must have done something there. That was good. That was, that was a good activity. So, so I've been trying to figure out how to get in a shape besides round. And so we've taken on spinning once again. And it's kind of fun. Shelly and I are doing it together. And we're, we're taking turns on this bike and we're going and we're, you know, doing all those pieces. And one of the things that, that I had forgotten, because I haven't done it in quite a while, is that it's really, really easy to be a spin poser. It's really, really easy to look like you are giving it all and you are just totally faking it, you know? I mean, your little legs are just, they're going, they're moving, they're, it's all happening. And to everyone, perhaps in that class, they're going, wow, this is, this is one dedicated spinner. And the reality is, you have no resistance on the bike whatsoever, and the flywheel is just going, 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 going like crazy. So to those around you, you look very impressive, but the reality is you're not getting an awful lot out of, the, out of the workout because you're not taking advantage of this thing right here. There's this button or this knob. And this knob, when you turn it to the right, in even a quarter turn, you can feel, you can feel resistance. 
You can, it feels a little bit like you're starting to go uphill on a normal bike. And if you turn it more, it starts to get harder and harder and harder to turn. And, that, and that's the idea. It's actually supposed to be hard, okay? It's supposed to be difficult along the way. It's not supposed to always just be easy. So one of the things that is interesting about the kind of bike that I use, if you look at that knob, what you realize is that it's rather subjective. There is no number. You're at 5 out of 10 in intensity or 8 out of 10. For all you know, I mean, I got that thing at 100 or I've got it at 0. You can't tell. The only person that can tell is me and my legs. If a trainer were walking around the room, while they might be able to examine you a little bit and say it doesn't seem like you have much pressure on, there's not a number that they can look at and say, I know exactly where you are in terms of your resistance. It is easy to be a spin poser. And as I'm looking at this and I'm thinking about this, I realize it is easy to be a Christianity poser. It's easy to go through the motions. Your legs are moving, moving, moving. And everybody's looking at you and, you're go- and they're, they're, they're kind of impressed. They're looking at you and saying, wow, I see, I see some cool activity going on in there. And the reality is only you and God's spirit know how much resistance you have cranked on the bike. Only you and God's spirit know what is really impacting you, how it is really infecting you, how it's really changing you. So we've come to our Sunday morning spin class, and you look around, you look at each other, and you kind of go, pretty impressive. Hey, I see so-and-so. They always sit in that seat. I know exactly where they sit. In fact, if I sat in their seat, they'd probably kick me out. That's their seat. They're, we're used to where we sit. We see each other, and, and it's cool. Okay, we're, we're kind of we're scoping out the spin class right now. And everybody's here. In, in light of that, their legs are moving, right? But how much resistance is on the bike? We don't really know. You see, the fact is, you might sit down in Sunday morning church, and the second I start to talk, you start to set your week-long agenda. Hmm. Let's see, Tuesday I got that appointment, and I got to order that supply, and I got to do this, and I got to do that. And You know, the person next to you is going, wow, they're really sweating it out. Look at them. They're, they're learning. They're growing. And, and you're taking advantage of that half hour to kind of catch up on your week, or, or maybe to do a nice nap with your eyes open. Whatever it is, you're... It seems like your legs are moving, but is there really enough resistance in order to see spiritual growth take place? Now, I'm going to tell you flatly, when it comes to spinning, even when I have the resistance all the way off, I'm still getting some benefit, right? I mean, it's better than me sitting on the couch eating Cheetos. There's some benefit, but, but I've just spent 45 minutes in what could have been an intense workout, and instead, I just kind of played the game. There is some benefit in being here. You might catch something. The flu. You might catch something, you know? <laughs> but, but if you'd be willing to turn up the resistance, it is amazing what God might grow in you. You're the one in charge of this thing. You're the one deciding where the resistance is going to be set. And you see, I think when it comes down to it, looking at the letter of 1 Peter, 1 Peter is all about resistance. 1 Peter is all about calling us out as Christian posers. And saying, do you just go to church? Do you just join a small group? Do you just serve? I mean, some of you are going to leave this service and go watch babies after this. And we love you. Thank you. But we know full will. We can, we can serve with a bitter heart. We look good. Legs are moving. But are we really growing? And Peter calls out the poser in us. We've been looking at these topics. Salvation, so great. 
God saved us for himself so that we can enjoy eternal life and grow here and now. Suffering so severe. The fact is we go through suffering as Christ followers. God doesn't say, congratulations, you're a Christian. Absolved of suffering. You don't have to worry about it anymore. In fact, quite the opposite. He says, try this one on for size. Let's see how this works. What's this going to do? And, and what, what Peter says, I love this. He actually said, the suffering calls attention to the genuineness of our faith. The suffering shows us where we have the knob on the resistance. And shows us whether or not we've got real faith going or we're just posing. We're just playing a game. We're just pretending. Next week we're going to talk about servanthood. But this week, this week we're going to talk about submission so sweet. Sweet surrender. And I suspect that of all the things we're going to talk about in this book, this is the one that calls out the American Christian poses in us. We do not like submission. We do not like to surrender. It is part of our DNA to fight, to resist, to rebel, to change things. It's part of our American DNA. How were we founded? We were founded by way of revolution. I mean, revolution isn't exactly a nice, quiet thing, right? We were revolting against something. We were rebelling against something. When we threw that tea in Boston Harbor, it wasn't because we wanted a taste of tea. It was because we were saying to a king, we are not paying these taxes anymore without representation. It is just not happening. That's part of our DNA. Part of the paperwork of our, of our nation is that we will join together to form a more perfect union. And we've been spending about 250 years figuring out how to perfect that union. And we keep tweaking it, and we keep working on it, and we keep changing it. And we keep saying, you know what, this system isn't working, and this organization isn't right, and this particular way of structure isn't quite right. And we keep tweaking and changing. We keep rebelling against what was and changing and growing. We, 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 we're, we're told that um, we are governed by the will of the people. We're going to do that this Tuesday, right? Get the chance to go express the will of the people. And the interesting about being a people who live by the will of the people is that we can become pretty willful people. And so in all of this, what we find is our very DNA, our very DNA as Americans, is going to listen to what Peter and Paul and Jesus say about submission and surrender and our quick tendency is going to be to say they weren't modern, they don't get it, they're clueless. If they had lived when we lived, they'd see it differently. But we've got to understand that we're not just trying to be good Americans, we're trying to be growing Christ followers. And sometimes the things that are embedded in our DNA as a citizen are conflicting with the things God wants to grow in us as followers of Jesus Christ. So what, what Peter says is, we've got to be careful that we're not so focused on fixing structures and rebelling against all that goes on around us that we miss the point. God is not looking to change structures. God is looking to transform the human heart. And he uses even opportunities of suffering and conflict and times you feel oppressed to grow something beautiful in you that could not be grown any other way. We don't like that because we have rights. We, we know our rights. I wonder what would happen if every once in a while we'd say, God, this is where you've 
this is where you want the resistance set, I'm willing to live there for a while instead of revolting, changing, easing off the tension. So what he does, he gives us a handful of relationships that we have as humans where resistance takes place, where submission and surrender are necessary. They're commanded by the word of God. Let's look at 1 Peter 2, verse 13. He says, for the Lord's sake, submit to all human authority, unless you voted for them. Whether, unless you didn't vote for them, right? No. Submit to all human authority, whether the king is head of state or the officials he has appointed. For the king has, 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 sent, for the king has sent them to punish those who do wrong and to honor those who do right. It is God's will that your honorable lives should silence those ignorant people who make foolish accusations against you. For you are free, yet you, should, yet you are God's slaves, so you don't use your freedom as an excuse to do evil. Respect everyone. The, and, the, and love the family of believers, fear God, and respect the king. Now, he frames submission in terms of the word respect. And what do we do as American people? We say, if someone is not worthy of respect, I'm not going to give them my respect. doesn't matter what level, whether it's a president, a governor, a policeman, a teacher, you name it. If I don't deem them worthy of respect, I'm not going to give them my respect. And God says, respect everyone and love the family of believers. Fear God, respect the king. Unless they're not part of your political party. No, it's not there. So, you hear this and you think, well, Peter, Peter had a cakewalk. He had an easy life. He must have had a good king. He must have had a respectable emperor. Uh, Peter's emperor was named Nero. Heard of Nero? Nero would make every president we have look like, uh, our presidents would look like a Sunday school picnic compared to any, anything Nero did. Nero, it is said, it is rumored, didn't like the way Rome was designed. Didn't suit his taste. He wanted to change it up. So it is said that Nero in 64 AD burned Rome to the ground to rebuild Rome. He was a narcissist. He was, he was so self-consumed that the people knew it. And you know what the people said? The people said Nero did this. The people accused Nero of doing this to satisfy his own human desire. Nero is watching his poles plummet, and he decides he's got to do something. So you know what he does? He says, I've got to find someone to blame. I've got to find someone to accuse. And the thing that Nero and the Romans had in common, they hated Christians. Christians, the, 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 the uh, historian Tacitus, he's, he's from 64, about 120. He's, he's doing his writing. The historian Tacitus actually joins in with Nero and says, these Christians are contemptible. They live righteous lives, and we don't like that. It calls attention to our unrighteousness. It calls attention to our bad way of living. And so they actually, this is one area that Nero and the people could agree. They said, hey, if we're going to blame anybody, let's blame the Christians. So what do we read? It says that Nero got them to confess to being Christians and then began an intense persecution of the Christians. It says, besides putting to death 
being put to death. They were made to be served as objects of amusement. They were clothed in hides of beasts and torn to death by dogs. Others were crucified. Others were set on fire to serve to illuminate the night when daylight failed. Human torches. People were human torches. People were ripped up by animals. And what did Peter say? I know, he didn't say, not my emperor. He didn't. He said, dear God, respect the king. How's that resistance mob feeling right about now? We're a little tense, aren't we? And some of you are going, oh, this, you're talking about Trump today? No, I've been alive long enough to remember Richard Nixon, okay? <laughs> Nixon, Ford, Carter. Who's the next guy? Reagan. Of course. Don't give me that I didn't know. I knew. <clears throat> you got Reagan. You got Bush one. You go to Clinton. You got Bush two. You get some Obama. And then that followed by Trump. And, and my whole lifetime, this has been my experience. Some people think that that man is the Savior. And some people think that man is the Antichrist. And so we decide who we will respect based on the letter behind their name. And Peter says, fear God and respect the king, regardless of the letter behind his name. You see, he's saying that a Christ follower, forget your Americanism for a moment, okay? A Christ follower shows respect. And that's part of the resistance that God has us live under in order to form something in us that could only be formed that way. Now let's move to another one that will make you more tense. <clears throat> Peter's talking about slavery. What did our nation do with slavery? We did away with slavery. What does Peter say? You who are slaves must submit to your masters with all respect. Okay. Do what they tell you to do. Not only if they are kind and reasonable, but even if they are cruel, for God is pleased when conscious of his will, you, pay, you patiently endure unjust treatment. Of course, you get no credit for being patient if you are beaten for doing what is wrong, but if you suffer for doing good and endure it patiently, God is pleased with you. For God called you to do good, even if it means suffering, just as Christ suffered for you. Here's, here's the point right here. We're trying to be like Jesus, right? We're not trying to be the best citizens we can be. That's, that's important, but the most important thing is we're trying to be like Jesus, right? For he is your example, and you must follow in his steps. This is one area that moderns really struggle with the Bible. They say if the Bible was true, if the Bible was inspired, if the Bible is of God, it certainly would have declared slavery evil and it would have commanded people to do away with slavery. Instead, we have Jesus, we have Peter, we have Paul saying, respect the person in authority over you, even if the person in authority over you is not worthy of respect. And you hear that and you go, that's nuts. You see, I think it's quite the opposite. This proves that the Bible is of God. Because only a godly person could say, I will respect someone even if they are not worthy of respect. Jesus spent three years in public ministry. What did he do in that public ministry? 
He did not come to change every human institution. He didn't come and reform the government. He didn't change the structures. He didn't gather an army and wipe out Rome. He didn't do all those things. He gathered 12 people, 12 incredibly defective people. And he said, for the next three years, we're going to hang out and you're going to learn everything I teach you and we're going to have a relationship that is going to change you. Peter, Paul, and Jesus will basically say the same thing again and again. In whatever situation you're in, learn to be content in that situation. That's submission. That's surrender. Learning to be content rather than always saying, I've got to change this, I've got to fix this, I've got to destroy this, I've got to move this, whatever. I learn to be content in the situation I'm in. Now here's the bummer about this morning, okay? We have about eight hours worth of material to discuss here. And I've just given you 20 minutes. I've just given you just enough that you're mad enough that you're going to check out Village next week. You know, I mean, you're, you're, you're like, what in the world is this nut saying? This nut is saying that Jesus has a different way. This nut is saying that every time we think we've finally perfected our form of government, every time we think we finally have the best boss that ever could be, every time we think we've got it right, it's not the point. The point is, are we growing in whatever situation God has placed us? Do you think of all people, Peter had the right to say, obey the king, accept Nero? He didn't. And so we learn how to live under the fullness of resistance. And in it, God grows something in us that cannot be realized otherwise. I would contend to some degree that the reason we are in the crazy we're in right now is because we've turned off the resistance knob of respect. We've said we need to respect no one except ourselves. And we end up with the crazy that we have. God's calling us as Christ followers to a different path. These are Peter's words, not mine. I mean, I agree with him. He's smart and inspired by God. But these are Peter's words. Your argument is with him. Your argument was with God. I, I just ask you quite, 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 quite directly, is your Christianity all about your legs moving? But there really is no resistance. You're looking good because you're here, you're in a group, you're serving. But when it comes to the actual commands of God, you say, not for me. Not my commands. Help me out. God is calling us to a much higher standard. Are you willing to step into it? Father God in heaven, we look at these words. These are tough words. Because we have been taught all of our lives, if it's unjust, change it, fix it, destroy it, rebel against it. And here we have this apostle saying, even in the worst of situations, your Christianity does not have to go on hold. You can grow as a Christ follower in this situation in ways that you cannot otherwise. And so I ask you today, Father, would we actually be willing sometimes to submit when submission hurts. 
which is the time that we need to submit the most. In Jesus' name, amen. Um, hi. Hey. So our servers are coming now to receive the offering. Let me mention a couple of things, and I'm just going to let you fly with this. Uh, cool thing this week. I, I wish I could throw the door open so you can see it, but if, if you're to go into the brick room, the, the, the kids' room in there, and look back toward the building, they put in the glass wall and door that's going to go out onto the patio. It looks amazing. I mean, the light that's going to flow in, the beauty to be able to stand there and look at God's creation that he planted, you know, those oak trees 100 years ago. It's just a beautiful sight. So progress is being made. Drywall is coming soon, and, and pretty soon balls will be bouncing in that gym, and we're going to be having a good time with it. I mentioned to you last week that we're looking to cure our stinky water problem as part of this. And, and I mentioned quickly, you can put it in the stinky water fund. There technically is no stinky water fund, okay? We don't want some auditor someday come, what is the stinky water fund? So we're giving it toward the building fund, but it would still be good to know, hey, if you were, if you were giving directly toward that because you wanted to see that problem solved, just write stinky water somewhere on your envelope and we'll know that. But you're going ahead and putting that toward the building fund. So why don't you go ahead and finish us up? One way that we'll be able to use that non-stinky water is actually in baptism. So uh, this summer, we are giving two opportunities for baptisms because we've found that some of you have been very hesitant to go down to the river. We understand you're what we call indoorsy. And like you're, you're not going to deal with the mud, the fish, like, no, I'm not getting that dirty do page, right? As, you know, as we're picking stuff aside to, to baptize people in the river, you're like, yeah, I want to do this in a pool. Uh, we're we're going to have that opportunity. So on June 10th, uh, in our gym, we are going to have a provisional baptismal tank. And so you have the opportunity to sign up for that. We are still going to have our real one, August 27th. Not, I'm sorry. Whoa. Said specifically, don't make it wimpy baptism and real baptism. Uh, anyway, don't tell the pitcher what you don't want him to do. Go ahead. Am I fired? <clears throat> no, go ahead. Okay. Anyway, uh, still going to have the outdoor one just as equal. Just same thing. Okay. Uh, that's on August 27th. <laughs> you can sign up for either one through the links this morning. Uh, if you don't receive the links in your email, you can go ahead to the welcome desk and get signed up for those today. Uh, because again, it, the links that we send out every Sunday morning, uh, you're able to click and go straight to the link without uh, even having to go through the website. So if you want, uh, you can check that out. And you not only uh, can sign up yourself, but if you have a child who doesn't have email or doesn't know how to sign up themselves, you can do that too. All right? So for either of those dates, I would just ask that you fill out this little um, short form, and then we'll get in contact with you about that. Green Lake registration is up and flying. Uh, we have a lot of students getting signed up right now, which is really exciting. Uh, we're actually going to be starting to put together uh, a team of adults that are going to be coming with us to help work on some special projects. So again, Green Lake is coming along really well. Uh, and then we have uh, links there for spring journey groups, which start in April. So again, it's coming really soon. Make sure that you check out all those opportunities. And if you haven't done one, just try it. We just ask that you come out and try. And then, hey, if you don't like it, then, well, at least you can say you tried. All right? Uh, but, again, those are, those are really easy opportunities to get to know people here in, at Southfield uh, and, and grow, grow with God. So. Awesome. Well, thank you.
Are you here next week, Sean? Free to do, free to do announcements? Okay, great. Thanks. <laughs> Why don't you stand? We're going to close in prayer. And as we do, uh, it's, it's funny, you know, sometimes even though you're speaking and you're in front of people, you kind of go blind, you don't see all the details. But I saw one detail today. Rand Ellis caps are with us. Uh, you know, good to see them today. And uh, I, know, I know all of you have been joining with me in, in praying for Alice as uh, she's been battling this cancer that invaded her body. And, and God's been doing amazing things. He's been answering our prayers. So continue those prayers. Continue to pray for Ray, too, with the, with the loss of his mom. So uh, we love you. Good to see you today. Nice to have you here. Let's pray together. Father God in heaven, as we leave this place and walk out into a world that is broken... Help us sometimes to be willing to live in the brokenness. To not always have to fix it. To not always have to change it. But to say sometimes the brokenness is exactly where you want me to be. I can grow in this brokenness in a way that I could never grow anywhere else. And my ultimate submission is not to the king, or the boss. My ultimate submission is to the Lord of my life who knows what's best for me and who's trying to grow something beautiful in me if I would just finally submit to his plan. If I'd finally say, I give up. But God, I'm grateful that there's a point that we move from I give up to I get it. (laughs) I get what you're trying to do in me. Not that we completely understand it, but we get that you're the one doing the good work in us that you will bring to completion. Grow us, we pray. Call out the poser in us when you need to. Help us to live under the resistance when you call us to do so. In Jesus' name, amen. We'll see you next week.